Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. I'm a feminist, but I clicked on the Facebook app to find out which five words I use most in my posts. Have you done this? Have you seen this? And they were feminist, podcast, comedy, just, and sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I think it's wrong, I don't think I do. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but I don't like Keira Knightley for no reason at all. (laughs) I mean, she's done to me she's probably very nice if you don't know she's the one with the pointy face who always seems to have a bow and arrow and always seems to be saying things like you can't and I don't know why I don't like her but I feel like she's up to something she's never going to be a guest on the podcast now (laughs) I'm a feminist can you just clear other people you don't like with me in case they're already booked oh yeah no she's the only one that's why it's weird and I can't justify it no no it's absolutely fine Sarah Pascoe said she didn't like you at the last one so that's she did she did. I'm joking. I'm joking. She said that off stage. No, no, she didn't. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but the other day, when needing to get to Melbourne's colonial tram car dining experience, <laughs> before it left the station for my mother's birthday dinner, and unable to get a taxi or an Uber, I stuck my head in a man's car window and said, Please, sir, I need help. Will you drive me to the station? <laughs> When he said, like an awesome Australian guy, no drama, I jumped in and then waved for my mother and sister to get in the back, much to his surprise. (laughs) And when we got out, I said, thanks for being our knight in shining armour. It's not feminist, guys, don't, that's not feminist. And threw $10 at him. It was only then that my mother realised it was not an Uber. And that we had hitchhiked to her birthday dinner. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but I haven't taken my mascara off since 1992. I feel similarly. I'm a feminist, but if I were asked to choose between editing a long-lost Virginia Woolf manuscript and giving John Hamm a (laughs) blowjob... I'd ask him to read aloud from the text while I was doing it to try and adjust the balance. Oh, I wish I wasn't doing the last one. I should have ended strong. I don't. I've got three and they're all awful. Okay. Um, this is ridiculous. I'm a feminist, but... 
sometimes when I see a man, I think about him having a dick. <laughs> and it's often not in a sexual way. I just think, he's got one. I'm sure that's not good. Is that not good? Thank you. Thank you. Can I just say, not all men have penises. Oh, come on. Cut no. that out then. Edit it out. I didn't mean that. No, 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 I believe you. I just didn't think about... I didn't know. It's fine. As long as I have that addendum, which now sounds like a code word for penis. <laughs> Should I do a different one then and we'll cut that one? This no, is no, terrible. No, it's fine. No, it's I fine. feel bad. Okay, do another one. <clears throat> this is not good either. <sighs> oh, it's bad. I'm a feminist, but sometimes... I'll have bad days where I can't think of things that I like about being a woman. Full honesty. And one day, all I could think of was the fact that I can tie my shoelaces while I'm peeing. <laughs> and then I got happy, and then I got sad, because I was like, oh, men can do that too. <laughs> Live from the Wheeler Centre in Melbourne, this is the guilty feminist the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them today we're talking about nice girls don't what nice girls don't do taboos things that we don't do well, I also think it's things that we do, but that you wouldn't admit. Like, there's things that I do that I'm not ashamed of doing them, but I would never reveal that, or I don't want people to know that yes. about me. Like, this is a ridiculous thing that I'm not proud that is true, but it is. Like, I would sooner tell a man that I, you know, was suicidal than that I've ever had diarrhoea. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I wouldn't... Like, if I was in a relationship and I... True. I, I'm not proud. If I was in a relationship and this is not happening and, and, was, and we're in bed and I was being spooned and I was the little spoon and if he accidentally gave me a squeeze and I farted onto his dick and he felt it, I would break up with him. So I'm not proud of that. But it's not just... It's not just... It's not just toilets. It's like... But I hate yeah. that. I don't know why... Regular yeah. listeners will know that I am basically allergic to any scatology. <laughs> Any laboratorial humour, I'm just like, I'm getting through it. And I'm just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I understand that this is because we've been trained within a patriarchy. Like, a lot of times now we say, well, feminism's all about choice. So, you know, I choose to wear high heels because that makes me feel good, or I can choose not to. And that is true, but I do notice that many fewer men choose to wear high heels. <laughs> because yeah. we've been raised in a structure where high heels are sexy mm. for women mm-hmm. and they're not considered sexy for men. So we're all working in that structure. That's someone, terrifying. Someone take your picture. Hold on. <laughs> do you know what? Seriously, if you want to take a picture, do it now. While we, we can do natural ones. <laughs> but what I don't want is loads of pictures of Twitter of me going... Which is how it is when people do oh, it when you're talking. It is, I've yet to have someone take a good photo of me doing stand-up. It's always... Eh, how did yeah. that, oh, good. See, they do that while they're actually... <laughs> you really want... That. Do you know what? I know, sorry. I've got a, doing a new fun thing in photos. Mm. There's a certain angle of photo taken of me where, if I'm smiling, the shadow from my nose makes it look like I'm missing teeth. <laughs> I'm sorry to turn you all on so early. Yeah. So, 
Is but it feels like a really guilty feminist thing, though, that you've looked at that and you've decided you look like you have no teeth. No one else has no. seen that, Celia. No, no, no. Facts say I look like I have no teeth. My eyes say I look like I have no teeth. Like, it's a single line shadow from my nose. Just blocks out, like, one tooth. Does that make you look like you have a little Hitler moustache? Oh, yeah, that too. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. Just like someone's knocked Hitler's teeth out. It's basically... So early in the show, I didn't think Hitler would be referenced. (laughs) It seems too early for Hitler. It's like we're on an internet thread. That's all it takes. Sometimes it's amazing the jump from, like, it can be a video of puppies, and it's like, cute puppies, cute puppies. Fuck Hitler! Yeah. (laughs) Or more likely, you're Hitler. Cute puppies, cute puppies. You're Hitler for putting up this puppy video. Why don't you like cats? Don't get me started on cats, as you well know. Anyone who's heard the last time I was on the podcast. Yes. Did you hear Celia's crazy cat lady? I'm not ashamed. I love him. Do you have a go-to, like, cute video on the internet when you need to cheer yourself up? No, should I have one? No, but don't you sometimes... You know, and you feel like some people have puppy videos or cat videos. Has anyone got a good one? Shout it out. I'll look it up. What? When the baby's walking down the path and the cat knocks it over. That is a great one. That's more so a funniest baby home crippled. Yeah, no, but they just get... It's your go-to. A baby... A baby that You're will never person. walk again. No, no, no. It's, it's fine. fine. It's, it's just... It's funny because that, the ba- it's like a toddlery, so they're still really that top-heavy kind of thing, mm. so it doesn't take a lot. Yeah. For me, it's... Uh, I was thinking more... That's a good one, though. Uh, there's a video, and it got me through a real dark time. It's called Bunnies in Cups. Oh. And is that like two cups, one bunny? No. <laughs> Sorry, I've ruined it for you. Don't be foul. No, it's four or five white bunnies in glass. So imagine like a wine glass with no stem, right? Mm-hmm. And some of them are sort of moving and some of them are sleeping. And it makes me cry every time I look at it because it's equal parts. This is the most adorable thing I've ever seen. And also... Someone get the bunnies out of the cups. <laughs> the bunnies can't get out of the cups. They don't want to be in Do the cups. They, they don't want to be there. Well, They've I don't know. For, it's hard to know. Do you know my favourite one, actually? Now you say this, I have got one. There's a little kitten having a nightmare. <laughs> and the mother cat... Suddenly you realise the mother cat is holding it. Sort of, you sort of reveal that some of that first, the mother cat... And the mother yeah. goes, it's all right, and puts her arm yeah. around the little kitty. And the little kitty goes <gasps> and settles down. She cuddles the Do kitty. Do you know what the nightmare that cat's having? No. That it gets pushed over by a toddler. <laughs> Maybe that it's in a cup. Maybe it's in a cup. Anyway, yep. this is so after. <laughs> this is not relevant. Uh, we should probably start. Are we ready to start? <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for coming out. We've put this show on a very short notice. Uh, just to go, hey, if you're from Melbourne. Hey. Hey, if you've come from somewhere else. Hey. Where have you come from? Shout out where you come from. Sydney. Yay. Adelaide. Adelaide. And where? Chinatown. <laughs> Violet Town. Violet Town. Where's Violet Town? Two hours up the Hume. Two hours up the Hume. I've spent two hours up the Hume. (laughs) It's taken a turn already. It's going to be. Two hours up the Hume. I want that to be my next show title. Two hours. (laughs) Francis White is two hours up the Hume. And it's a two hour show. And the doors are locked. Maybe I could just do it in a lorry on the way to the Hume. Or past the Hume. Is the Hume a river? Highway. Highway. Oh, okay. <laughs> the orifice. Uh, this show needs work. Two hours up the Hume. <laughs> DFW, two hours up the Hume. Uh, so two hours up the Hume. And uh, where else? Sydney? Adelaide? Anywhere else? Scotland. Scotland? You didn't come all the way 
for this from Scotland, did you? Oh, not specifically. Yeah, because two hours up the Hume came specially, which is more impressive than you happen to be in town from Scotland, mate. Just saying. But, I mean, I do appreciate it, and I love that you are from Scotland, but, you know. I'm impressed. Very little will compete with two hours up the Hume. I'm impressed whenever anyone leaves their house, ever. Do you know what I mean? Like... Did anyone take longer than two hours to get specifically to this show? Yes? Wangaratta. Wangaratta. It's real. It's Wangaratta. The sequel is Deborah Vance's wife further up the hune. I'm all over it, baby. I'm all over it. Wangaratta is further up the hune. You don't want to know what that means in London. <laughs> all right, come on now. We okay. gotta start. Right, yeah. yeah, we better start the show. We better start the show. Okay. Uh, so Celia. Yeah. We did some challenges this week for Nice Girls Don't. Okay, yes we did. Right, so this is going to be interesting because this is the only place I'm going to talk about this. It's very different for me to talk about stuff that's real and personal on stage as it is in the real world. So my challenge was to reveal something about myself that I'm not ashamed of that has happened, but I feel ashamed should people know about it, right? And it was sort of inspired by, it was the day that Trump signed the executive order to ban funding to the organisations that perform or discuss abortions. And did you see that photo with the eight dudes signing this thing? And it just made me so mad. And I had a wine. (laughs) And I got on Twitter. Great combination. And I posted the following two tweets. We weren't long long enough. Okay. Uh, Part one. Some serious shit going down in the US. And I'm sick of being too scared to say this. I've had an abortion. I was 19. Part two. And it was absolutely the right decision for me at the time. I was scared. I walked through protesters, but it's my fucking body. And I pressed send. And then I sat back and went, oh, no. <laughs> What's going to happen? And it's true. That, wasn't, I didn't, that would be horrific if I just thought, was doing that as a joke. It's true. Um, and the weird thing is, I genuinely don't regret absolutely don't regret having an abortion honest because that's one of the arguments they tell you is go you'll you'll regret it women Mm. all regret it I've honestly made decisions about sandwiches that I regret more (laughs) oh Celia why'd you order turkey you know they put cranberry on it you hate that that more than that decision and so then why I did have to think to myself I'm like why do I feel ashamed to put this out in public and then I remembered when I was like I had a boyfriend once, and when I was doing that stage, I don't know if you do this, early days when I used to get into a relationship, I would immediately tell them all the horrible things that had happened to me in the hope that they'd go, that's never going to happen to you again, I'm so glad you shared that with me, blah, blah, blah. And that was one of the things that I told him, and he turned around and went, I wish you hadn't told me that. I feel like we might need to break up. I hate that I know that about you. Blah, well, blah, blah, blah. that's good. I think it's a litmus test, because then you go, yeah, I do want to break up with you. Yeah. Um, when I saw Trump yeah. with all of those men around him signing that document... I thought to myself, how many abortions do you reckon collectively those men have paid for? Because Trump must have paid for upward of 30, I would say, personally. I'm happy to put that up. If he heard me say that, he'd probably go, bigger, bigger, greater, paid for more abortions than anyone in the world. I really don't want to think about him anywhere near sex (laughs) at all. It was a strange thing. So I did think about it. And and I'm really happy that I did it. I got a lot of wonderful responses from people going, thanks for saying this. I had a few. You're a baby killer, which I was expecting. But in general, like the only downside to it is that now the public knows something personal about me. That's it. And if that means I've got to put up with some TV week journalists asking me about it when I'm trying to plug my stand-up show, 
then it was worth it for one just got owning it and not feeling ashamed about it and two if there was someone who read that and went oh cool I'm gonna not feel ashamed about it I think that's really really great I think I feel at the moment the wrong things are being normalised and yeah that's lots, really interesting yeah. lots and lots and lots of women have abortions need to have abortions and you know lots of women don't regret their abortions and it feels like that is covered up and other terrible mm. things are being normalised so the more we can normalise the things we want to be normal in the world the better but this has been wonderful like when I, you asked me to do this I was like this is the perfect and the only place I'm going to talk about it or I want to talk about it because after I put it up I had a few people going would you like to come on our show and talk about it more and I'm like no because that's the other thing is it, it's not something I want to be defined by right you, know I mean? you don't now want to go on talk radio every Thursday no <laughs> to talk about the ins and outs of it because again that's the that's and the it's sort Monday of... morning abortion chat with Celia Pagola who's just got that hi guys welcome to Terminations of the Rich and Famous <laughs> Did you just think of that? That was very, yeah. very good. Yeah, it's that kind of spontaneity well, you can expect all anyway. podcast. So thank you. Um, um, Please welcome to the stage, Sydney the Uh This is going to be... So I'm going to just talk to you briefly about it. Just a bunch of stuff that I feel embarrassed or it's weird for me to admit it. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, some weird simple things like if I was on a date I would deny that I enjoy gherkins and I love them I love gherkins you know the green pickled gherkins thing. I, I love them I love them so much I once thought I was pregnant because one day I woke up and I really wanted a gherkin and I watched a lot of American movies and in American movies always a pregnant chick chowing down on a big gherkin and I woke up like I need a gherkin and then I called my boyfriend at the time and was like I'm pregnant and he's like concerned because he lived in a different country um, but <laughs> I love gherkins but if I was on a date with a man and he said you like gherkins I'd go no gross why like what I don't know I, I'm not I'm not proud like is it because I only want guys to think that I eat sexy foods you know like like strawberries and sausage rolls <laughs> I think this is gherkin is the worst word I've ever heard gherkin it sounds revolting gherkin it sounds like what you should call it if someone threw up whilst wanking <laughs> oh my god I walked in on John and he was gherkin I know I had to get a hose it's disgusting um, <laughs> so that's one of them uh, another one I have a bad memory now I know a lot of people say that they have a bad memory <coughs> Strap the fuck in. Okay. <laughs> Having a bad memory is not the thing that I'm weird about telling you, but it is part of it. I have such a bad memory, oh gosh, that I forgot that I made a sex tape. <laughs> what? <laughs> forgot. Like it was milk. A set. You know, an, an audiovisual recording of intercourse. I forgot that I did that and I forgot for years years and years and years I didn't forgot about it and the only reason I remembered is one day years later I was watching like Sunrise or some shitty breakfast TV and there was a news story about some pop star who'd done a sex tape and I watched that and I thought oh my god how could you be so fucking stupid as to do it oh my god I did one completely true and now before see this is the weird thing like you're already like you can't help but judge me a bit before you, when I say sex tape it's not there wasn't like storyboards and a tripod 
What I mean is, I dated a guy who had a phone. <laughs> All right? I trusted a guy who had a phone. And it was years later, so I realised, oh, God, I'm sex. So I got back in touch with him, because we'd since broken up. And I got back in touch with him, and he uh, told me that he destroyed it, which is definitely true. Phew. <laughs> um, no, I believe he still has it. I believe that. And the only reason that I am not a complete nervous wreck and that I can sleep and I'm not freaking the fuck out about this every second of every day is the fact that when I made this thing, I was 22. So I was hot. <laughs> Everyone told me they're 22. I was looking good. Things were tight. It looks good. So worst case, if it comes out, at least I look pretty good. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, if you're gonna make a sex tape, do it early. <laughs> Obviously, I'm kidding. Never do that. You will definitely regret it. You will always regret that. I don't even know how people can be so brave as to send photos of their boobs. That's the thing that girls do these days. Is because apparently you can send photos of your boobs if you don't put your head in it. Because then they could be anyone's tits. Don't know. Got deniability if you don't put your head in it, unless you unfortunately have nipples that look like your face. New trauma. <laughs> Tattoo of a driver's license doesn't work. <laughs> That's what they do. They text it, text photos just without heading them. Deniability, rude bits. I'm too paranoid to even do that. What I like to do is I take actual photos on a camera and then I go to the chemist, I get them printed out and I send them in the post. Because <laughs> I'm traditional like that. It seems less scary. Still without my head in it, because I'm not an idiot. Um, I'm lying. I'm actually too paranoid to even do that. I don't trust it. So what I do is I do sketches. I'm doing, I do hot s- sketches of my rude bits. Still just as hot, still without my head in it, because I'm not an idiot. And I send it, so if I meet a guy that I like, what I'll do is I'll find out where he lives and I will send him one of my hot... I'm actually working on one uh, that I think I can show, which I think this is a pretty sweet perk for, um, for people who come to live shows. Everyone's over 18, right? Just, just be careful, guys in the, you know, or anyone in the just hands where I can see him, because this is going to be pretty hot. Okay, just I send him... <laughs> And uh, on the other side, just that. It's not a kiss, that's my asshole. So enjoy visualising people listening to the podcast, what that was. So if I like a guy, I'll find out where he lives and I'll send him uh, that in an envelope um, with my phone number and um, some cat hair because I want him to know that I have the capacity to care for things. And uh, what is weird I, is I have not heard back from any of them. But, uh, they're probably too busy wanking over my hot sketch. They're probably still wanking. They're probably wanking so much over my hot sketch, they've gone blind, can't read my phone number. Happens. <laughs> All right, so that's that one. Another one that I, is weird for me to talk to, uh, bubble bath. I love bubble baths. For, it's not that I'm ashamed of bubble baths. It's the reason, which is... You enjoy bubble baths for different reasons at different ages. Like when I was a kid, I loved bubble baths because they covered up the fact that baths are boring. As an adult, cover up the fact that my naked body underwater is revolting. <laughs> now, I know. Right, so it's a good timekeeper for me, right? Because I know that when the bubbles start to dissipate, I've got like a 10-second window from the moment I can see underwater nudeness. It's like 10 seconds for either me to get out of the bath or the hairdryer is coming in. I know, I know. I'm just being honest, guys. I react to my own nudeness in the same way as, you know when you've got to take the bins out, but before you can tie it, you have to push it down and you get a gust of hot bin air in your face and mouth? Now, I know 
I'm not overweight. I also know I'm very lucky to have all of my limbs. And I know it doesn't make me a good feminist. You're supposed to be body positive and I want to be. I'd love to be. And if you love your bodies, great. You should. Everyone in here should genuinely love their own bodies, but I cannot help it. When people say that to me, I think, do you know what? Fuck off. It's my body and I'll hate it if I want. <laughs> it's a prick. You don't know it like I know it. You don't see it behind closed doors. It's a jerk. It can't run. It sweats. Heaps. Even when it's cold, it grows hair all the time in places I don't want it is a jerk, all right? You wouldn't put up with that kind of behaviour from anyone other than you, would you? Like, if you lived with someone in a flat, right, who grew hair in pots like chives, just little individual pots of hair around your home, you would hate that guy. You would hate him. You'd come downstairs in the morning, you'd be like, ah, fuck. Darren? Dad, can you come downstairs with me? Come down and yeah. Uh, quick question. Why is there hair on the stove? I don't know. Still, I grow hair there now. Why? Warmth? It's not warm. Don't know, I just thought, you know, place is getting a bit older, just thought. Sort of start start growing hair on that thing. I can't believe it. You, I'm getting rid of it. You know I'm chucking it out. I'm going to get rid of it. You know that. I'm getting rid of it today. You know that, right? Yeah, it's fine. Probably put it back there in about a week. We can have I think that's about as much sharing as I can do for right now. Thank you very much. Deborah. Have you done a challenge this week? Well, did anyone see Melissa McCarthy's SNL sketch of Sean Spicer? I watched that in awe. Firstly, because it was incredible and it was an enormous amount of commitment. But something that I was looking at was how little she cared about being feminine, about being sexy, about being likeable. She completely committed to that character. Now, my background is in impro. That's where I started mm-hmm. uh, improvising. And in fact, the woman who taught me to improvise, this is a bit of a feminist shout out, is in the audience tonight, uh, Patty Styles. Uh, when I met her, I was quite, well, I'd just come out of a cult. And so I was quite <laughs> guarded. Do you know what I mean? Quite locked and quite walled. Really? I was Why? walled. I was really? walled. I was walled and virginal. And she taught me to trust my obvious. That's what she used to say. Trust what's obvious to you. Trust your obvious. And really, she's the reason I can do a podcast. I don't do that much improv anymore, but everything I do do, I put down to Patty teaching me those things because she taught me if I open my mouth and start a sentence, my brain will finish it. And that's podcasting. <laughs> in a nutshell just have the confidence to start a sentence and be curious to see where it goes like that see it worked I don't know where this sentence is going to go but I bet it's going to land somewhere good <laughs> worked boom boom guys boom do you want to try one <laughs> uh, someone shout at the beginning of a sentence see it's terrifying no do you just have to do the beginning I'll do the end Last night I went two hours up the Hume. Um, see? Uh, yeah, so Patty taught me to do that, basically. Mm-hmm. Patty taught me to trust myself. Mm-hmm. But I think because I am part of a patriarchal structure and I've come out of a very patriarchal religion, I never really unlocked the physical side. I never really on stage was happy to do what Melissa McCarthy does, which is look 
kind of gross or not that she looks gross but you know what I mean like to go to those places which are more grotesques I always think yeah but you know it's me really and then you'll judge me and you'll see me in that light you won't see the character so what I thought I'd do tonight was to try and get some traits from the audience and see if I could bust out of that now this is such a huge deal for me I don't know if this is going to end up in the podcast I'll be honest with you if I don't like it or it doesn't work at the end of it I'm going to talk about it like it happened at another gig and then edit out it happening here. <laughs> so you're yep. going to say again, what was your challenge? I'm going to say, well, I went to this gig and I yep. tried to do this character and the audience think, hated it. I think it's so great and it's so brave. Because well, even that makes me feel physically ill. I'm the same. Oh, fuck. <laughs> no, no, but that's you're why it's great. great. Look, you're you a character are. comedian. If no, it makes you feel physically ill, I definitely shouldn't no, try it. No, 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 no. No, but it's that. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. That's what? why I have it. But okay. That's why it's good for you. I mean, everyone's got something like that. It doesn't have to be that way around. Like, I know people who, if they had to, like, uh, wear a dress, would make make them physically you know just when it goes against I'll do that I'll wear a dress <laughs> anyone got a dress I can put on I'll no. do that or you know no I know what you mean I know what you mean okay so I'm going to come out actually Great. from behind here that's the I first think, can step can we give Deborah a round of applause this is Okay, so to try and create a character, I thought about what do nice girls don't do? So, you know, I googled nice girls don't, because, you know, it comes up with suggestions, and all it was was nice girls don't get the corner office, which is a famous book. So then I just googled articles, nice girls don't. Don't do that. <laughs> do not google articles about what nice girls don't do. It's horrifying. My eyes, my eyes. Uh, so I thought I'd come to you and ask you, what are the stereotypes of what nice girls don't do? So this is, what were you told as a child? Not what do you believe in your head, but what were you told as a child, or what are the stereotypes of what nice girls don't do? They don't argue. Okay, I'm gonna need someone to write these down. Has anyone here got a pen and paper? Okay, all right. Nice girls don't argue, they don't swear. What else? No, no, that's good. This is good. This is what I need. This is a version therapy. They don't so scratch so themselves. Yep. That's what I heard. Did you say poo on their sleeves? What? Nobody does that. That's rather otherwise. What do you mean? When they defecate and they wipe themselves, they manage to keep their sleeves out of the equation. Uh, Write it down, uh, Celia. Okay, alrighty. Write it down. There are no wrong answers here at the Guilty Feminist. I've asked for help and I'm getting help. This is therapy, this is help. Help, help. Help. Uh, Anything else? Burp. Keep their mouth open. Sit with their legs open. Sleep around. Spit. Eat a lot. Eat a lot. Be selfish. Try to win. So, competitive? Yeah, try to win. Drink beer. (laughs) I've got that one. Okay, I think we've got enough. So, I'm going to get a chair out. I've got a list of things that I can draw from. I might not get through all of them, but I might put them on the floor so I can see them, so that if I get stuck for something, I can just look down. All right, so... This is a character, this is a character, a character I would not normally play in an impro scene of my own volition, and I wouldn't go up for a casting like this, I would never have played this person before. Uh, so how does this person sit? Legs open. Legs open? Legs 
I'm fine with it. You're doing so well. You're doing really, really great. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. Where is she from? Wangaratta. Wangaratta, thank you. Okay, so I'm going to see if a nice girl can do all these things and be from Wangaratta. We'll find out. Should she have a name? Should yeah, she should, Celia. I'm so glad you've asked. Should she have a name, I Let's said. Let's spend some time deciding that name. No, 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 no. So five or six suggestions. No, okay. no, no, just what? Shazza. It's got to be Shazza. Okay. It's got to be Shazza. Shazza from Wangaratta. And let's try and do this and not play into any Australian stereotypes. Be culturally insensitive or offend everyone. Someone gave me a cartoon yesterday of a, uh, of a jester in prison with an old-fashioned prisoner. And the jester says to the old-fashioned prisoner in the stocks, he's sort of like in the, you know, chained up, he says, it's really difficult to be consistently funny and consistently careful. I struggle with this. <laughs> so, just, I just apologise in advance. Sorry. Stalling. No, I don't apologise. Shit, I've ruined it. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Not sorry. Fuck hey, off. Do you know who... You know, what? You know who, you know who leans in? What? You know who leans in? Who? Shazza. Right, great. Thank you. All right, ready? <coughs> My name's Shazza from Wangaratta. Thanks for coming. <laughs> You're a beautiful bunch of cunts. <laughs> and I could take any one of you in a fight, but I won't because I'm fucking lovely. <laughs> now, I slept with Big Dave this morning and I don't mind telling you, he's got a beautiful penis and he knows what to fucking do with it. We were two hours up the Hume. But I fucking won. I've won every sex I've done for 15 years. Before that, I was a fucking virgin. Didn't know what I was doing. Five years a virgin. I was five years a virgin. Had no idea what I was doing for five years. Your virginity is a recurring condition in the early years. Do you know what I mean? You come back and you think, oh, it's like I've not done it again. But now, like, I do sex education now for young girls. It's a lovely thing. It's a beautiful charity. I've got a couple of fucking beautiful charities. You could all donate. I'll give you a PayPal account later. One is get bunnies out of fucking cups. <laughs> PayPal, that. That's the hashtag cup bunnies and uh and the other one is sex education for young girls who are just fucking worried like you know am i sexy am i beautiful if i sit here with my legs apart and no knickers on is that fucking beautiful yes it is fucking beautiful because this is a natural thing everything you can see up this skirt sir beautiful natural just what fucking science gave me all right don't believe in god but i'm happy for you too because i'm fucking lovely do you believe in God, sir? Well, I could make you believe in God tonight, sir. That's fucking right. You, you come over here with a lovely pale ale. 
a pint of any pale ale you like. That's my preferred beer. What's your preferred beer, madam? <laughs> beautiful beer, VB. Beautiful fucking beer. You are fucking right. You are fucking right. I've still won with the pale ale, but you're fucking right. You're a fucking close second, love. I like you. You remind me of my mum. She was a beautiful woman. She taught me everything I know. She's just, oh man, she just broke my heart, you know? Every, oh, when I was growing up, she was my fucking idol. And if you'd known her, you would have known true love. As it is, your mum's probably second best. I fucking win. (laughs) She taught me that there's absolutely no reason why you can't win at sex. (laughs) And I invite you all to my seminar. (laughs) We're the fucking sex champions this Saturday night in Wangaratta! I actually feel incredibly liberated. I think I did everything on the list as well. I tried to do everything on the list. Is there anything I missed? Uh, I might have missed writing one down. Burp. Have you got a burp in you? I don't know how to burp. (laughs) What do you do? I think. I don't. I genuinely don't know. I don't know how. Did I do enough mouth open? That was amazing. I couldn't see. Did she do enough mouth open? Did I? That was intuitive. That was instinctive. (laughs) That was just the character coming out of me. It was great. I'll tell you the things on the list, but I think that was so incredible. Argue square, scratch themselves, poo on their sleeves. Amazing. (laughs) Burp, legs open, mouth open, sleep around, try to win and drink beer. Mm. Nailed it. You know, the sky didn't fall down. It's great. Actually, I'm still here. If you were listening at home, I did at one point sniff my sleeve. Yeah, yeah. And you missed that bit of comedy gold. So if people laughed and you didn't know why, it was a sleeve sniff. Uh, Thank thank you for that suggestion. I thought that was a bit of a wild card, but no, uh, that really, really worked, didn't it? That really worked. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis White. So I was in LA, don't want to go about it, and uh, I got into an Uber with a friend. A friend had called an Uber and we got chatting to the driver and he said he'd been in acting class that night and he was a nice guy and we had a little chat. And uh, he said, I'm really excited because next week I've got a meeting with an agent. I might get an agent. Very excited. I said, oh, how long have you been in L.A. trying to be an actor? He said, 22 years. <laughs> and I said, oh, have you, did you lose your agent? He said, no, I've never had an agent, but I think this year's my year. And I thought, well, it's L.A. You've got to have a dream. And uh, he seemed very nice. And he said, in the meantime, I'm driving Ubers. That's what I do. And as I got out of the car, he said, if you want me to take you to the airport, here's my card. You can just call me and I'll come and take you to the airport. And I said, oh, that's nice. And the next night, I wanted to go to Venice Beach to see a friend for dinner. 
And I didn't have Uber app, so I thought, oh, I'll call this chap. And I called him and said, are you driving tonight, Jim? And he said, yes, I am. And I said, would you take me to Venice Beach? You know, can you give me a price? He said, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'll be there in 15 minutes. 45 minutes later, he turns up. I'm sitting out the front of my hotel. He gets out of the car, comes over, hugs me, and says, you smell great, baby. And I went, oh, and got in his car. (laughs) Because nice, because nice, because, and I realized like I've been trained to do this because I've questioned compliments from strangers before and I've been called a bitch in the street. So I've learned, nice, just be nice. Just go along with it. There's no need to question. It's just a compliment, wasn't it? It's just a compliment. It's just a compliment. I'm in the backseat of his car now. Now, while I smelled nice, don't want to go on about it, uh, his car reeked of pot. So when he got in the car, I went, oh. And I thought, this is where nice has to have a line in the sand, doesn't it? Because getting in a strange man's car, which is what I've just done, I realise, without the safety of an Uber app or anyone knowing where I was or me knowing his registration plate, and him turning out to have been smoking pot is the kind of mistake you should be making at 18 years of age, not at my other age. (laughs) So I thought, I've got to sort of say something now, okay. So I just said, oh, Jim, your car smells of pot. (laughs) So he got an air freshener out and started spraying it. And I said, no, no, Jim, that's not the problem. The smell is not the problem. And I thought, right. How do I say this and still be nice? So I said, oh, I think you've tried to do me a favor, which is so nice of you. You weren't driving tonight, maybe. You were just home getting high, having a nice joint, and I've called you and you're trying to do me a favor by coming out to drive me somewhere to be nice. But if you've been smoking pot, I don't want to drive with you on a highway. I especially said highway. I mean, obviously fine around the back streets. (laughs) And he went, I don't get high. And he turned on the ignition. And I thought, oh my God, I've offended him. I've judged him for being high. So I went, oh, I do. It's fine if you're high. I get high sometimes. Sometimes I get high. I get high sometimes. Being high is fine. It's just being high driving. Being high is fine. I don't mind getting high. And he went, do you want to buy some pot? And I was like, oh God, I've been so nice in asking to get out of this man's car. He's mistaken it for a a request for a drug deal. So I had to go, no, 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 no. I don't need to buy pot. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. I'm just worried about driving with you, you know, if you are high, but if you're not high, that's fine. And he went, I'm not high, I don't get high. By this time, he's pulled out. Now, I'm in a vulnerable situation, and now, nice is my friend. Because if I rile him, I could be in danger as a woman. So I cannot say anything hostile or confrontational now. But if I'm too nice, he could think I was flirting with him and later on say I had led him on. So I have to straddle these two places and be nice, but not too nice. So what I do is go into business-like perky. (laughs) It's what I call infomercial mode. He says, you smell great, baby. I say, this is Chanel Chance. You should buy it for the lady in your life. surprisingly reasonably priced for Chanel. (laughs) He says, I don't have a lady in my life. 
Women in LA, they're all the same. They just want to fuck fame, and I'm not famous, so they don't want to fuck me. You know, I was on a movie the other day, and I was an extra, and this woman, she wasn't even interested in me. Hot chick, wasn't even interested in me. And then I got a line, and suddenly she was all over me. That's what women in LA are like. All women are like that. All women are like, they just want to fuck fame. That's what women are like. 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 You smell great, baby. <laughs> so then I have to be nice while disagreeing with what all women are like. <laughs> so I do these gymnastics, I'm so sorry that you've had that experience with the women you've met. Which is nice, you know, it takes his feelings into account without being entirely misogynistic in flavour. <laughs> and he says, well, all that's going to change because I've made some webisodes. I'm making a show, I've made some webisodes. <laughs> you want to see them? You want to see the webisodes? And I'm like, uh-huh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. nice, nice, yeah. nice, webisodes, webisodes. <laughs> So he pulls up on his phone while he's driving, now down a highway, and starts showing me the most angry, misogynistic, violent drama you can possibly imagine. Terrible acting, lovely production values. <laughs> Women being beaten, thrown in the back of cars, called bitches. He's like, that's me and that one. I play the prisoner. That's me. That's me. She plays my daughter. That's me. That's me. And I'm like, yeah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, it's great. I think, you know, we had so many hits on YouTube and then they took them down and we don't know why they took them down. No, I can't see why they would have taken this down at all, at all. It's, it's hard to know why they would have taken this down. Yeah, it's really great and I think it's really going to take off for me. And I'm like, well, that, that's great. That's great. You smell great, baby. And this is going on and on and on. And so now I'm going, okay, I have no evidence that this man intends to assault me violently, but this does not feel great. And I have to preempt this because if he drives this car into a garage and pulls the door down behind him with the remote control, my strategies are up. So I have to come up with a strategy now. And this is where Nice kicks up a fucking gear and starts to do heavy lifting. Because in movies, in old movies, when women are in a situation like this which feels dangerous, they call another man and another man rescues them. But in new movies, we don't want to do that anymore because we don't want to depict women as vulnerable. So in new movies... Women karate their way out of this situation. <laughs> now women are kick ass. But here's the thing, guys. There was no other man nearby. We're down a highway. And my karate skills are at best limited. <laughs> limited karate. But even if I've been training in karate for 15 years, this guy was three times my size. Karate was not my friend. Nice was my friend. This is where really nice gets really fucking useful. Because I thought, okay, I need to come up with something now. And I need to know what this man wants more than he wants to sexually assault me. So I went back and I remembered what's the first thing I ever found out about this man. He wants an agent. What's the second thing I found out? He wants his webisodes to go viral in some way so that he becomes famous and somehow in his head more sexually attractive. And I think, what have I got that can help? And I remember. And I pull out a card and I say, hey, Jim, yesterday I met this woman at YouTube True story. And look, here's her card. And she's working for the YouTube in-house production company. And they're looking for new webisodes because they want to be more like Netflix and have sort of dramas that people go to YouTube for. And she might be interested in your webisodes. I'm having a meeting with her tomorrow. If I get there, <laughs> I can show her your webisodes. And maybe she'll like them. And he went, oh! 
That'd be great. Oh, that'd be great. He went so nice. He went straight past infomercial into like Friday night chat show. That'd be great. I'd really appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much. He became so nice and so businesslike and he dropped all of that other stuff. And I realized I had used the stick with me kid and I'll make you a star rape prevention strategy. (laughs) And every woman I've told this story to has told me a story back that is similar enough in nature, where they niced their way out of a potentially threatening or violent situation. This is what women do. This is what is never depicted in movies. We use conversational karate to kick ass our way out of these situations. Now listen, I have no evidence this guy was gonna do anything, but what I can tell you is when we pulled up in the street and I got out of his car, it was dark, and I texted my friend to come out because I wasn't sure where she was, and we were alone in a street, there was no street lighting, and he got out of the car too, and he came towards me and said, do you mind if I hug you, baby? And I looked at him and I thought, I don't know that we're in the right street, I don't know that I'm safe yet. So I decided to give him something so he didn't feel he needed to take anything from me. And I said, okay. And I hugged him. And he held me really tight and was smelling my hair when my friend came out. I went, okay, bye now, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. As I walked into the house with her and she went, why were you hugging the Uber driver? I heard him shout from behind, call me later, I'll drive you home. about what nice girls don't do. I was obsessed with being a nice girl and a good girl when I was growing up. My grandmother um, had many opinions on how that should happen. And so I totally identify with all that stuff of, you know, not wanting to make a fuss and I'm in a strange man's car and I'm a bit frightened, but it won't say anything. I could totally identify with all of that. And it's only something now, now that I'm in my 40s that I'm trying to really not care about what people think of me and to really stand up for myself and... Um, look, I'm a slow learner, but it's exciting. Yes. Yeah, no, I feel the same. But do you ever feel like you learn it and then you unlearn it again and then you think, oh, I'm doing it again? Oh, yeah. The instinct to be nice because you want that man to think nice things about you even if you don't want to be mm. with them. You know, that kind of stuff. It's okay to have that thought, but it's about how you deal with that or stopping it before it gets too far into a place where you're doing something you're not. I remember when I was in my early 20s, I was living in London, I was working in a cafe, I was living with this crazy Brazilian woman who knew all of these incredibly exotic people from fantastic lands, like I was like, oh I've met a Brazilian for the first time in a Venezuelan, like it was so exciting. I come from a small country. Uh, <laughs> and I, she introduced me to this guy called Jorge from Spain. And Jorge was very brooding and would kind of like lean in doorways a lot and look at you under his eyebrows and was quite quite attractive. Um, <laughs> That's a wonderful description. Oh, Jorge. Look at you under his eyebrows. Yeah, like yes. the kind of brooding in a kind doorway. of... Yeah, like I suppose it's maybe a double it's, frame. I like it. Maybe it's the kind of like rather than wearing a sunshade, his eyebrows yeah. were just big enough to shade oh, his face. So wow. he could always... You'd always see you, even in bright sunlight. Um, 
I ended up going to a party with him and I didn't fancy him. He was handsome, but I didn't fancy him. Uh, but I stayed over at his house because I was sort of too drunk to get the tube home. And so we were lying in his bed and he started sort of busting some moves on me and I was a little bit like, oh, well, yeah, I am staying at his house. Like, I, I had the kind of, this kind of moment and he, he kind of, um, he kept on trying to, like, we sort of smooched a bit and that was okay. And then he started trying to have sex with me and I was like, no, I'm not into that. And he kept on saying the sentence, oh, just let me put it at the entrance. <laughs> like he oh, wanted to leave well. a bin or a parcel or something. Like he was a, crazy. I'm sorry, you weren't home, I'll just leave for it. I'll just leave it at the I'll entrance. Leave it at the door. Yeah. Yeah. Your neighbour will sign for the tip of my yes. penis. Yes. That's... And then, then I had this kind of realisation as he kept on asking if he could put it at the entrance of like, no, no, I don't. My entrance does not desire your presence. Like, it was, it was such a weird moment and it was a really clear moment of going, oh, why am I putting up with this because I don't want to hurt his feelings? Like, I'm sure yeah. he's not worried about mine. Like, all he's worried well, about is hiding the tip of his penis at my entrance. Okay. So did you not... Did you get I, out of I went, I, went, I went, no, 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 I think... And fortunately, he wasn't a cock... He had one, but fortunately he wasn't, you know, and he accepted that and that was fine. And I went away the next morning going, that was a ridiculous situation to be in and to feel obligated, like, oh, I, I, you know, it it would be rude not to. Well, this will sound bad, but I was going out with this, with a guy. This was at uni and he was the only blonde I've ever dated. It was a disaster. Ugh, triathlons. No. We'd had like a date and then suddenly he was introducing me as his girlfriend. I'm like, sorry, what now? Okay. Anyway, but so we were together, but this is so bad. But. <laughs> is it about gherkins? No. I had sex with him when I didn't really want to because it was his birthday. Oh. I know. You don't have to do that. You can just get him a card. <laughs> proud of that but part of it was oh, I don't want to feel but but I would not do that now yeah, no yeah, can't. the, the so, desire to be compliant and I think we're trained as small children oh, like just girls re- to be nice be yes. give them what they want be compliant and a part of that is when you're a small child being made to kiss relatives you don't oh, know very yes, well yes and there's a backlash against that now where they say don't force a five-year-old to kiss their aunt or their uncle or their mm. grandparent because you're, what you're teaching them is they don't want to in that moment. They're shy or they just don't want the tactile contact and you're teaching them that to be polite, you should sleep with someone on their birthday. <laughs> That's sort of... Yeah, no, I mean, no totally one can polite. argue that wasn't polite. <laughs> but I, I have a seven-year-old. I've got, I've got a seven-year-old son and I'm really adamant that he does not have to kiss a relative if he does not want to. So how do you manage the feelings there? So it's someone... Maybe if it's your well, partner's the family... Of, the feelings of the fucking 50-year-old are less important. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because they're already dead inside. <laughs> and, you know, no, no, I'm agreeing with you, but I'm just dead. wondering in the real world how you say... It, how I, you I, don't, s- I don't even know, because it's been so long and we've always done it, right. that, that I just say, do you want to give them a high five or a, a handshake, or do you, want to, do you want to give Gran a hug? And if he wants to, he'll hug her. But if he doesn't want to, he doesn't have to. And I'm really adamant with him that no mm. one is allowed to touch him. Like I say, mummy and daddy and doctors if they're going to help you, are allowed to touch you, but no one else is allowed to touch you without your permission. I saw some of your new show mm. uh, the other day, which was brilliant, by the way. You should go and see Cal Wilson's new show. What's it called? Things I've Never Said. Things I've Never mm. Said, very on much t- in this territory. And you told a story about something that happened to you at high school, which really resonated with me. I'm trying to get you to tell it now. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll try to tell you. I'll try to tell you. 
hashtag consent. I don't want to push you to tell this story from your show if you want to save no, it. No, no, because I won't tell a funny version. I'll just tell you what happened without trying to shoehorn gags into it. Um, so I wasn't one of the cool kids at high school. I was a nerdy drama kid. And in the last year at high school, I suddenly started to be on the periphery of the cool kids. And at our school, we were a music drama school. Kids would come from other high schools to do their final year at our school and do the music and drama courses. But the rugby union guys were the gods of school, the first 15. Um, I think they were called the first 15 because if anyone had counted to 15, it would have been a first. So... Um, <laughs> The big guys, they were the popular guys. We started to go to the rugby matches because if you went to the rugby matches, you could get invited to the after-match party and you could kind of get into the cool group. And so we started going along and there was this kind of acceptance that was starting to happen of me because it seemed very important as a teenager that you were accepted by the cool people and not just the lovely nerds that you hung around with. And this thing started to happen at our school. It was called the Barracuda. Has anyone heard of a Barracuda, just by show of hands? Great. So what happened was that if you were one of the girls that the rugby players approved of in some sense, they would grab you and hold you down and one of them would bite you on the ass hard enough to leave a bruise. Like, they didn't take your pants off or anything like that. They'd just bite you through your clothes. But it would leave a bruise. And it became... It was like the, getting the blue tick on Twitter. Like, that was the verification from the rugby team. And so I got given a barracuda. I was thrown to the ground. I had my arms pinned. I had my legs pinned. And I was bitten on the ass. And it was like this... I didn't know how to feel about it. I was like, ah, oh, oh, ow, that really hurt. And uh, that was weird. But now I guess this means I'm cool, so thanks. Like, And it never occurred to me to go home to my parents and go, I've just been assaulted by a rugby player. Like, now it's quite fashionable. You can do it. You know, it doesn't do you much good. But you can still do it. But, no. but it just didn't occur to me that that was something you would say and so I had this bruise on my ass for two weeks like teeth marks on my ass and people as you walk through the lockers people would go how's your barracuda cow and I was kind of like oh, I'm totally accepted and then they did it again they wanted to give me another barracuda I don't know like double verification who knows what but as they threw me to the ground in the common room and I had a rugby player holding my arms down and a rugby player holding my legs down and the third guy was going to bite me on the ass and I had Bruce at the front who wasn't a rugby player uh, he was smarter than the rugby players but he wasn't so smart that they had to beat him up so he was kind of like the ringleader and he was holding my hands down and he was in my ear going, are you mad, Cal? Are you mad? Are you mad? Because I'd started to struggle as they went to give me another barracuda. And I just suddenly went, I don't want this to happen anymore. I don't want to be bitten again. And so I started struggling. And then I had this realisation that I couldn't move. I was pinned down. And then it just switched over into this mad fight or flight thing where I was really struggling. I felt like I was struggling for my life. Like I had this fear of like, shit, I've got to get out of this. And I was struggling with all of my might and I could not move and I had this horrifying, ugly epiphany that if I was in this situation for real, if I had three men holding me down, that I would literally be fucked. And I started to cry because I realised how vulnerable and powerless I was and I just cried, I just started sobbing and they all sprang back and they were absolutely appalled because I'd spoiled it. Because I had ruined the lovely, fun, funny thing that they were doing by making out that they had done something awful to me. And I couldn't stop crying because I was so overcome by this realisation of my own vulnerability. And I became this outcast for a little while because I had ruined things, because I hadn't been a good sport, because I had shown vulnerability and I had not let them just get away with what they wanted to do. And... I could never explain to them. Like, I tried to talk to a couple of them about it to say what it felt like, but they're huge. Like, they were big rugby-playing men. Like, the only way I could have made them feel as vulnerable would be if I'd held a gun to their head. Like, that would be the only way that they could understand what it felt like to be that powerless. And I was out of the cool group. 
The horrifying coda to this is that about five or six years ago, my manager got a call from a guy who wanted me to do a gig for his industry night. It was like a horse racing industry thing. And it was Bruce. And the message that he left with my manager was, ask her if she remembers the Barracuda. And I still don't know whether he, in his mind, was going, I just want you to know that I've still got a little bit of power over you, or whether he genuinely thought it was a really lovely, fun memory that we shared. Like, it was, I remember that day you put your ass in my mouth. Like, whether to him that was like a fun bonding thing we did at school. And I will never find out because, of course, I was like, I'm not going to do your fucking gig. Like, why would I? In hindsight, I wish I had. Like, I wish I'd. But then also the fear of getting up on stage and being tackled by the MC and being bitten on the ass again was kind of a bit of a... It puts you off. It does yeah. put you off. I found that story so resonant, Cal, because I felt like it's a really graphic example of, but it's a compliment. Because what yeah. those guys were doing was saying, but we're going to make you popular. But what they're saying is, now you're in the cool tribe, but we're marking you and we're doing something violent to you so that you know you're at the bottom yeah. of the cool tribe. You know you're owned by the cool tribe. And I feel that happens a lot with women, that we're sort of like, can't you take a joke? And if you're not a good sport and you don't laugh along, you're seen to have ruined the fun. Just a bit of fun is never just a bit of fun. Like what the full sentence should be is, it's just a bit of fun for me. Like, I don't care how you feel about it. It's just a bit of fun for me. Like, it's never like... I've booked your tickets to Luna Park or we're having our portraits done by a chalk artist or something. It's never something like that. It's like, hey guys, paintball. It's, ne- it's always like, you know, you're having your head flushed down a toilet or you're getting bitten on the ass by some necklace ass vampire. Um, I feel like I read in some book about comedy when I first started and about women, I don't even know, but it just, I just remember this bit where it said, having a sense of humour for a man means being able to make a joke and for a woman means being able to take a joke. So if a kid pours sand on a girl's head and she laughs it off, then she's got a great sense of humour. And it's like when you call someone a good sport, you're never calling them a good sport for something positive. Like you're never like, oh, you're such a good sport when I gave you that bottle of champagne. Like it's never, it's never that. I feel that a lot. That uh, if women are pushed towards very sexist territory, we kind of co-opt it. It's a bit like me deciding to give that Uber driver a hug. I'm going to give it so you don't take it. And I felt that in situations that if I give the laugh... I remember um, watching a documentary about... What's her name? We'll edit this bit out like I knew it. Um, What's her name? More words. Guys, what's her name? What's her name? Film? We need quiz. She wrote When Harry Met Sally. Oh, Nora Ephron. Nora Ephron, thank you. Okay, so let's take it again. I remember seeing this documentary about Nora Ephron. (laughs) Someone who's very close to my heart. Um, And it was done by her son, and it was actually amazing. She was raised by screenwriters, Hollywood screenwriters. And her mother, when she would come home from school complaining about, you know, uh, something that had happened, something like the Barracuda, her mother would say, well, everything's copy, which means everything's material. You can use that, you can write that down. And he said, uh, so she used to say it to him, and uh, he said, what I think that means is, is if you slip on a banana peel, you're the joke. But if you tell the story of you slipping on the banana peel, it's your joke. You own the joke. I think it's sort of almost what we've been doing tonight by kind of telling these stories. Totally. Is I take that joke back, or I take that piece of power back when I was in the Uber, and the punchline isn't me anymore. 
One of the most horrific things that ever happened to me, I, I have a morbid fear of vomiting in public. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. it's probably something that most people aren't I was gonna really say, into. I, I think that's most people. <laughs> but I just, I just have a horror of it. And I had this horrific experience on my birthday in Venice at this incredibly expensive restaurant where I had a migraine. And because I had a migraine, I wasn't thinking properly. And when my husband said, why don't we just go home? I was like, no, it's my birthday. We're in Venice. It's the most romantic city in the world. We're staying for dinner. Uh, and I threw up into my hands at the table. And... <gasps> Um, wow! And I choked as I, because I, I was trying to hold it in, and it was coming out my nose, and so I choked, and so uh, I kind of reeled away from the table, going, "No!" <laughs> um, and kind of fell against a wall with a little handful of sick, and. Um, <laughs> mind I was like if the waiter comes over and treats me as if I'm a normal human woman and not a one woman zombie apocalypse um, I can pretend this never happened and so the waiter came over and I had folded it up into a napkin the waiter came over and was nice to me because he was a professional man so we had to stay for dinner it was just the worst experience of my life I had to every or five anyone's minutes life Cal my, my that's husband. the worst experience a human oh, was, has had outside a war zone or a torture oh, situation I just because I just kept, in my head I can so clearly remember making the noise and it just attracting everyone else in the restaurant because that's not a sound you hear like it's not like oh I wonder if that's the guitar duo like it's and so so I ran to the toilets with my little parcel of shame and opened the toilet doors and then just vomited all over the like just it was like you know that scene from Fantasia where Mickey Mouse has got the buckets of water and it just keeps multiplying and multiplying like it was like that but with vomit like it was just there was and I'd I'd clean it up and then I'd go back to the table and and look like deliriously at my husband and be like can we go home and I'd be like no it's my birthday I'm a lovely time. And I'm glad you weren't in the audience when I was asking for things for Shazza to do. <laughs> so this went on like for hours. Like I'd go and I'd throw up and I'd come back and then I'd try and eat a bit more and he just drank the beautiful wine that I couldn't drink. And we were broke and backpacking and it was like a five hundred dollar meal. Like it was just just awful. And at the end of the at the end of the night, we stagger out. I stagger out, he's kind of got me tucked under one arm, and I'm like, Do you reckon I got away with it? And <laughs> And he was like, I think they thought you had bulimia because I just kept going. And then the next morning I woke up and I didn't have the migraine anymore. And I was like, why did we not just go home? And he nearly broke up with me then, but we, uh, we're still together. Um, but my very long-winded point is that I have told that story enough times that it has become a glorious, fun thing to tell as opposed to the horrific, like, wake up in the middle of the night and remember that night kind of story. And I told it at the end of my show at the comedy festival and it smashed it every night. It was always great and it was like, yes, yes, it's feeling nicer and nicer. And then one night, people just didn't like it. They just didn't like it. And I was like, I don't know what happened. It was just kind of like, at the end of it, like I didn't know what had happened. And then afterwards, I found out from my tech that someone had got really, really drunk and had vomited over the row in front of them. And so they didn't like it because they were living it. Like, they was like... Afterwards, I ran into another comedian and I was like, and this is what happened. And they vomited and they didn't like my vomit story. And he goes, they stole your chunder. say it's the reclaiming of it it's the placing yourself as you're the person of power in that horrific uber story when you told the story about getting your mum into that guy's car i thought he was going to say you smell great 
it's reclaiming the power of it, isn't it? And I want to tell the story of the Barracuda because I want to talk about it and I want to... The thing that also really strikes me about that story is that I emailed a friend the other day and said, do you remember this happening to me? He was a, a mutual friend of mine and Bruce's. And he goes, I vaguely remember the Barracuda, but I don't remember it happening to you. And what I wanted to ask him, but I chickened out of asking him, or I realised why I didn't want to ask him, I wanted to say, you've got a daughter now who is 15. How would you feel if that was done to her? And then I was like, why am I doing that thing where I imagine men can only understand a situation if it's applied to a woman that they own? Mm -hmm. You know how, I imagine if it was your wife or your mother or your sister, like, why not just imagine if it was you? you. And I was thinking, this is a terrible analogy, but I was thinking, like, when you hear about something terrible happening to a woman, there's often a lot of blaming that goes along with it, like, what was she doing out or anything like that. If you heard a story that someone had attempted to rape a cat your first response would be, oh my God, that poor fucking cat. You wouldn't be like, what was it doing out? Like, you wouldn't... Well, if you... Nor would you have to say to the person, imagine if it was your cat. No, you'd just go... Imagine if it was Mr Tiddles. You'd just go that poor living creature. You wouldn't be going, oh, how short was its fur? Like, you wouldn't be... You'd just go, what a fucking horrific thing to happen to a living creature. But when it's a human woman, it's so much often of like, oh, what was she doing to be responsible for that awful thing that someone did to her? Yeah, it's true. We would never apply that to a cat or a rabbit that had been shoved into a wine glass. We wouldn't go, well, was that rabbit asking for it? Was that rabbit looking at the glass flirtatiously? Mm. Was it talking about crockery for a long time beforehand? Like, let's, just, let's just leave the bunnies out of this, guys. Um, the bunnies is my happy place, sucker. On, on that note, note, another video that you might like to look up in times of trouble, yeah. uh, just type in guinea pig bridge. Uh, and it's this wonderful song about uh, guinea pigs taking a bridge from point A to point B. And it's a fantastic little Japanese... I imagine them playing cards. <laughs> Just going, oh, it's the final rubber. <laughs> no, it's literally 16 guinea pigs go from point A to point B. And you just see the guinea pigs go on their little bridge that gets folded out and they go from one kind of terrarium to another. Wow. It's a Japanese wildlife sanctuary. It's fucking brilliant. Um, <laughs> and the, the song will get caught in your head and you'll be like, damn you, Cal Wilson, why did you do this? Celia, when you hear that story from Cal, you seem to really enjoy that story. Are we at the point where we don't judge other women for doing it, where we can completely enjoy that? It's a bit like body positivity. I look at all my friends and think all of their bodies are beautiful. Yes. Like, I've got Mm. friends who are very gamine, feline, tall and thin. I've got friends that are very fat, ebullient, incredible, voluptuous sex goddesses. And I look at them and I go, fuck your hot but I can still look at my own body and compare it to a billboard, not compare it to my friends. I don't go, well, I'm in that group. Say I was having an out-of-body experience and I was sitting across the table from myself. Mm -hmm. I would look at my body and go, oh, she's hot, right? At all the sizes I've been. And similarly, if I hear Cal's gross vomit story, I go, wow, she's so brave for telling that. So I should take something from that and go, oh... If I tell a story like that, people will be admiring of me. They won't judge me and go, oh, I can never look at her in a sexual light again. I could never do Shazza. I've talked about diarrhea. I've talked about some really horrific stuff tonight. And yet that's my line. But that's why you're always pushing it and testing it. Well, I could never do that either. I only did it because I hadn't done a challenge. And I thought, right, I'm going to do something live. And like, I find my live challenges most exciting ones, actually. But I did find it very liberating. And I would do it again. Not tonight, obviously. Mm. Or ever. But yes. I just want to say, just about the Barracuda story, mm. I've just made me really sad because it, it fucked. But I believe that happened. Like, it's not, not surprised, one. And two, I can picture myself in that situation, and I would love to say to you and myself that in that situation I would have gone, this is not okay, guys, and that, but I absolutely would not 
have you know yeah, particularly it, at that age at school yeah it, and, and was, I can see oh, that no, going no, no, no. wanting to be cool and going along with stuff it's really interesting though that when you cried they backed off and then they went well you've ruined it now yeah, with yeah. crying uh, <laughs> like, well, this is the thing that we talked that we talked about is because it's an unattractive thing if you're not I don't know if other women have thought about your exit strategy or if someone's going to attack you what you're going to do but Oh, yeah. I think it's ridiculous that we have to do that, but I do. And I always thought that someone told me, like, if you get attacked, you should shoot yourself because then you'll be gross and they won't want to rape you. And I thought, well, that's fine, but I don't know that I can shit on cue. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, great. So I have had this thought by myself. I was like, right, well, we can't do that. What else can I do? And I thought, but I can stick my fingers down my throat and make myself be sick. So that's what I'm going to do. And I hate mm, that I yeah, have yeah. that yeah. in my mind. My husband and I were having a conversation a few months ago. It was a real revelation to him that all women, and I don't want to say all women, but I'd say most women, um, that you do plan for, like when you're walking down the street at night, you keep an eye on, on everyone yep. else and that, that you've all had some unpleasant thing happen to you. And I was, we were sitting in a cafe surrounded by a mother's group and I was like, if I stand up now and go, has everyone here had some kind of mild form of sexual assault happen to them on the street? That probably, I wasn't going to do that obviously because everyone was enjoying their breakfast. Yeah, it's um, a mother's group, yeah. But, it's not appropriate. Oh, great. Buzzkill cows here again. <laughs> Turn out sexual assault. We're just trying to have oh, smashed avocados. Cal, Cal Wilson and her happy box pops. <laughs> she does this every Saturday. Um, let's type the cows questionnaires. Yeah. Who's yeah. vomited in Venice? But that's why I think it's, it's good. That's um, why it's but it was a revelation to him that I, I was like, mm. everybody here would have some story, whether it was someone saying, shows your tits when you were 12, or, you know, like, he couldn't get his head around it. And we were walking in town one night. He's a big guy six foot three he was, we were walking in town one night and he commented on how he doesn't feel safe in town anymore there's so many people on ice and stuff and you just don't know he was like you just don't know what people are going to do and I was like dude this is how I've spent my whole adult life is feeling mm. like this so I guess if there's one positive of the ice epidemic it's now <laughs> now you dudes know what we feel like yeah I was trying to explain yeah. this to someone on Facebook and that's always the best place to try and explain things to people <laughs> Because I find that really receptive, and uh, and they sort of you know come around to your way of thinking in, so four, in four or five hours. Uh, but I was trying to explain that we live with low level just alertness. I'm not in fear all the time, but I'm always alert. It's like the and background I, hum of a fridge, isn't it? Like you're just <laughs> aware at the edge of awareness. You're just aware. Absolutely. I was walking home. And someone had followed me, this young guy followed me, waited till I turned into a residential street and then started pulling my bag. And I turned around and I came towards him, which is what they advise you to do. And they don't. Uh, and don't <laughs> take that. Some people went, oh, interesting, take a note. No, 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 that's sarcasm. Uh, and I screamed at him and came towards him. And the reason I did is because I had a laptop in the bag and it wasn't the laptop, it was that I was writing a screenplay and I didn't have it backed up in a cloud. And so for him, that would be worth nothing, like 100 quid or something. I would have honestly said to him, I'll take you to a cash point and give you 100 quid rather than you take that screenplay because that screenplay is valueless to you. But I've been paid to write it and I cannot fucking write it again. I'll have to give the money back. So... I screamed and he ran off and I felt sorry for him actually because he was very young and he had sort of wearing a hoodie but after that no, I, I sort of wanted to chase him down because I felt like he had no career options and I wanted to chase him down and sort of offer to retrain him because that's what kind of ridiculous bleeding heart number I have um, but after that coming home I always have this really strange sort of I just jump at shadows like I'm turning around like that 
And if any man walks near me, comes towards me, is behind me, I do that with my bag. And sometimes I've seen black men look at me like, you think I'm going to nick your bag because I'm black. And I want to go, I want to stop and go, no, 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 I'm not judging you on a race, I'm judging you on your gender. <laughs> it was a white guy that tried to nick my bag. If anything, you are in a better subset based on prejudicial judgments, based on my experience. But they don't want to hear that. I remember walking back one night, walking back um, after doing a gig, and I was in my early 20s again, and there was a group of guys walking towards me, like sort of five or six guys, and they're like on a night ha- having a great time. And so I was just really aware that they were on that side of the footpath and so I kind of moved over and then one of them as a joke uh, just lunged out at me and went Whoa! like that and, and like of course I jumped and screamed and then they all laughed and thought it was great and I was just like what a pack of cocks like I was so <laughs> I was so angry that he would think that that was funny I guess but I guess if you don't understand what it feels like then it's just a little gag it's mm. just a funny look at that stupid bitch that just like because we wouldn't do that there are various strategies I have for those situations one of them is super nice the mm. one that I told you mm. about before but the other one is one guy grabbed my necklace I think he'd read it in the game or something you should touch somebody but that's sort of more I mean A don't do that but B <laughs> if you are going to be doing things from the game just don't do them in the street to a random woman get talking to her in a bar <laughs> and then start playing with the necklace because it's clearly where he'd read it anyway I was walking past him and he grabbed my necklace and was like oh that's nice and I'm so shocked but I don't want to go vulnerable in those situations or angry shouty because I can't win a punchy Mm. fight so I just put both arms up and went not cool because everyone wants to be cool that's right it really works because it's I'm not scared of you I'm not going to go ooh and I'm not going to punch you because then you might punch me I'm going to do big arms and I really recommend this one both arms up, it's a shield, and the words not cool. Those are the specific <laughs> words you should use because they go, oh, oh, sorry, I'm not being cool. And then Everyone they want to go, cool. they go, sorry. And he said, sorry. He said, sorry. Wow. Because, and so I really, everyone, if you take anything from this tonight, the words not cool are your friends. <laughs> what a journey. Um, I'm exhausted. <laughs> but and people feel- have come from two hours up the hill. Yeah, so. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> Does everyone feel okay? Like, I feel it's been sort of depressing things, but then inspiring things. But I think the other good thing about owning the stories is hearing yourself say it means, like, I've I've got more confidence to try and behave in a way that I'd be more Mm. proud of the next time it happens. Or if someone is listening, going, oh, you can make another choice and do it not cool not cool one of the things that I think about when I think about the Barracuda is that no one came to my assistance that no one helped me and we were walking back from a gig in Perth it was a roadshow comedy festival roadshow a bunch of comedians walking back through a square we're going to another bar and there was a guy and a woman standing in front of a taxi rank and they were having a fight and they weren't really having a fight she was standing there and he was screaming at her she was all dressed up she looked gorgeous and she was standing there with this kind of weary resignation of, oh, this is what we do, this is what happens. And he was screaming at her and he had his arms out. And I don't know what he was shouting at her about, but he was really angry with her and she was just standing there with her head down. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like, there were so many people in the square. There was a guy in a, a high-vis vest walking past. There was, like, 20 taxis, all with men in the taxis, like, all male taxi drivers. There was us. I was in a group of two women and five men, and everybody was just flowing past them as if she was invisible. And I felt like she was simultaneously invisible and the most exposed that she could possibly be and we walked past them and I thought who is going to help her and I understand that people don't want to get involved and you don't know what the situation is and you know it's messy and you don't want to get punched and everything but I turned around and I walked towards them and I said to her are you okay do you need help 
and she didn't say anything, but he backed off. And then I kept looking at him and I kept saying to her, are you okay? Do you need help? And she said, no, it's okay. This happens all the time, which broke my fucking heart. Like, I was like, oh, fuck. And in my past, I've been that woman. I've been that woman that no one helped. And I just wanted her to know that someone had seen her and that someone had seen him and that maybe both of them would realise that that wasn't the way that you do it. And I don't know if I made it worse by interjecting. I don't know what happened to her, but I felt that I couldn't walk away without letting her know that someone had seen this happen. And I guess what I would like to leave people with is don't be afraid to be an ally. Like, don't put yourself in danger, but we need to speak up when stuff like that happens, even if it's just as simple as letting someone know that you've seen them, that you were witness to it, because sometimes all it takes is for someone else to see what's happening to you for you to realise that it's not right. Like, it took my mother looking at me while my ex screamed in my face. It took the look on her face of absolute horror and pain for me to go, this isn't how normal relationships work. And that was the moment that I decided I would leave him. And I just think if we can stand up for each other if we can't stand up for ourselves we can at least stand up for other people and that dudes you can stand up for women you know you can be allies I think in that situation it was possibly easier for me to interject because I'm not threatening like I'm a little perky woman like oh I can't hurt you um but and maybe the guys didn't feel that but I was just fucking furious that and I also felt like I'm with five people I know if he has a go at me they will be obligated to help me even if they don't care about a stranger. But I think about her all the time, and that was last year, and I think about her all the time, and I hope she's okay. Can I just clap for Yes! I just feel like... I just feel like... That was good. Follow The Guilty Feminist on Twitter, at guiltfempod. Check out our Instagram, instagram.com forward slash theguiltyfeminist. Like our Facebook page, sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. And please, go to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast. Give it five stars. Um, Do you have anything to plug? I do. I have my comedy festival show to plug. It's called Things I've Never Said. Uh, It is on in Adelaide, Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, Canberra and Perth. And I will be telling the Barracuda with a few more gags. Great. Super. Um, I recommend it. I saw it. It's really great. Really great show. Celia Pakola, do you have anything to plug? Not really. I'm on Twitter at Celia Pakola. I did a TV show with Luke McGregor on the ABC called Rosehaven, which is... I think I liked it. It's about a man and a woman platonic friendship running a real estate agency in rural Tasmania. <laughs> Sounds awful. It's not. It's pretty good. I like it. Um, but uh, So that's uh, on DVD or wherever you can illegally get it. Go nuts. Uh, great. And if you could all come and see Shazza Goes Up to Hume, uh, that would be super. I have another podcast called Global Pillage, and it's at globalpillage.net, and it's a diversity-based comedy panel show. So it's a comedy panel show that allows women and people of colour and LGBT and celebrate diversity. Uh, so if you'd like to listen to that, that would be lovely. If you wouldn't like to listen to it, it's because you don't like diversity. Um, <laughs> You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host, Celia Picoda, and our special guest, Cal Wilson. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Zielinski for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Jeff Ring and everyone at the Wheeler Centre, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com.
had a boyfriend once and I was doing that stage I don't know if you do this early days when I used to get into a relationship I would immediately tell them all the horrible things that had happened to me and that was one of the things that I told him and he turned around and went I wish you hadn't told me that I feel like we might need to break up uh, way, oh, you... how's this he's the sex tape guy <gasps> shit I just realised that oh Mr Sex Tape he's not a good guy he's not a good guy um, <laughs> Mr Sex Tape yeah yeah what a surprise he's judging right? you about your abortion yeah, I mean, why yeah, am I surprised yeah, yeah. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.